Hi, and welcome to another episode of BroPod, where we talk to those that defy convention from the worlds of sports, media, finance, and politics. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Kier McKenna. How are you? Doing well. Excited about today's episode. A little bit different. Very different. We got a little special edition episode on our hands. But before that, we go into that. Um, You're finally back fit. Yeah. Um, you got Rangers on your hands tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, no, definitely excited. It's good to be back into things. Um, obviously, a long time out. And over the last two or three weeks, I've just tried to get back up to the level of the rest of the boys. And obviously, that takes time. Um, but good to be back involved a little. And huge game tomorrow. It doesn't really get any bigger than uh, Rangers away. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a, it's a, it's a result or a game that uh, that both teams need to kind of get a result from. Yeah, and then hopefully on both clubs. Yeah. Yeah, and then hopefully I can join you soon. We kind of, uh, we kind of planned it well where we, one is injured and one is, yeah, one is injury so free. Have to compete too much. <laughs> so therefore, the the bro pod is going on very, uh, very well. And then now that I'll come back, uh, we'll see how how it goes. I but have uh, some domestic issues. Yep. Yeah, but for now. We're good. Yeah. We're good. Um, but back to our special episode. Um, kind of excited. I want to do things a bit differently this week. Um, we wanted to talk about the MLS and yeah. US soccer in general. I think the development of the game will will inevitably uh, be integrated as part of that discussion. Uh, obviously, Kier myself have shared a, a very uh, a very highly stimulating and an exciting four years at, at Duke in which three of them were shared. Mm-hmm. We spent a total of four years there. And so we have a natural connection to it. Uh, been part of the college soccer system. Um, kind of got a feel for, you know, the growth of the game there, but also uh, to some respects, its limitations and, and where it needs to go without having to follow the MLS too closely. Uh, but now that it's growing, you get more into it. It's the, 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 the business model of the MLS and the teams is a rather intriguing one in which I can personally say that my interest for it has just been growing um, significantly, significantly mm-hmm. over over the last years, and so now that we have the twenty um, fifth MLS season starting yeah. this past weekend, we want to take down to the posts on the league. But from your experience, Kieran, how was it going to America? Has has your perception of the game shifted from when you first went in and then until now? I think it has shifted a little. I think. Before going over to America to play college soccer, we'll call it soccer for today's episode. Yeah, let's make that clear. I'm glad you said that. Um, but I think before going over, I maybe respected that I was maybe a little bit more open-minded than most British uh, football people. I think a lot of the time in Britain and maybe even across Europe too, there's a little bit of a disrespect towards um, American soccer a little bit naivety about the level. Um, and then especially when I say, when I was telling people I was going over to play college, there was a little bit of a scepticism on um, whether that was the right thing for me to develop. But I was always open-minded. I went over and visited and I'd kind of seen the level of training and players and I'd seen that there was a pathway from college to professional. Um, so going over, I felt maybe technically... I was definitely good enough. I think coming through Celtic's academy with the coaching and the level I played at, I was technically, mm-hmm. you know, sufficient. I think physically I was maybe a little bit behind. That was maybe because of my age. I went over at 17. And I think American soccer, 
culture, maybe values the physicality of the game a little bit more. And I think um, that maybe is relates to maybe the other sports in the country. I think it's maybe a knock-on effect. I think if you look at American football, basketball, lacrosse, very physical sports, they spend a lot of time in the gym. And I think that maybe rubs off in soccer a bit. Yeah. And I thought, I think that when I went over, players valued the gym more. I think players here, they can't, you know, they a lot of the time they don't like the gym and they just want to be in the pitch all the time. And I definitely think the pitches should be the priority. But I think there could maybe be a little bit more respect towards the physical side. But I think, so I think maybe America's got that kind of honed in, and mm-hmm. I think technically over the last ten years they've really made leaps and bounds. Yeah. I think we can see that with the young players coming through in America. Even in they've got young players in Europe with Plessis and Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich. But I think maybe tactically, I, I felt this at college, and I think maybe even if you look at the MLS, I think tactically they're maybe still a little bit behind. Right. I think they still maybe lack a little bit of game intelligence compared to the top. Uh, leagues in Europe obviously I think maybe when I went over to America I then realised that I maybe took my coaching at Celtic for granted mm-hmm. because I think the coaches at Celtic are some of the best in Britain and then going over and experience, experiencing soccer in America for four years that's where I maybe found that players and the kind of cultures maybe just tactically a little bit um, a little bit behind. Yeah I think you got a good point there and I think <laughs> What you were pointing to about the, the, the focus on the physicality, I think yeah. that was the biggest transition for us going over the game. I don't think there is a overbearing tactical philosophy that that permeates throughout a team more so. It was more so predicated on an extreme athleticism and physicality. Mm-hmm. And then there were certainly good players, but if you compare it to our European backgrounds, I think it's natural for there to be a bit yeah. of a difference because... It is a younger football nation. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, this country is so, or the con- America and Canada included, we've just got a, a new league starting last year. Um, there's so much potential and there's so much, there are, they have so much best practice and, and, and know-how when it comes to sports in general. Not only from a on-the-pitch standpoint, in terms of how you, because we developed tremendously over those four years. We have pointed that before, but to be able to have four years which you're able to develop in peace, so mm-hmm. to speak. You yeah. have that stability. Yeah. And, you know, the, the size and the weight we are now yeah. is vastly different from when we went there. Yeah. And especially for you coming in as a 17-year-old, I was 20-year-old, but I've always been, regard myself as a late bloomer. So for me, you know, I was a totally different player coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And you could sense that professionalism at college. I don't think we'll ever be part of a more, like, better professional setup when I'm talking about the whole, the whole package, yeah. so to speak, the whole yeah. the whole offering in place. Yeah. Um, but I think as a young football nation, soccer nation, mm-hmm. um, it's 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 about time. It's about yeah. changing a culture, and that takes time. And that's the thing with MLS too. Now it's the twenty fifth anniversary, or twenty mm-hmm. fifth straight season, um, and it is so young relative to yeah. the to the British game yeah. for you. Yeah. You know, so. Um, there t- there's talks now, and, and we'll touch upon that later with our interviewees, about ML- MLS potentially becoming one of the biggest leagues mm-hmm. in the world. But yeah. that will take time, don't yeah. you think? It will absolutely take time, but I think the potential is definitely there. I think you look at the other leagues um, in America, the other sports leagues, they're absolutely massive. But I think you just look, the, look at the appeal of the American lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at the appeal of living in some of the best cities in the world, the New York, Miami, LA, Boston. 
uh, Washington. Mm-hmm. I just think that if they can really grow the league and keep improving that, you know, for European players, it must be such a good... If the league re, if the quality really does pick up and players think, okay, like the standard's now good, why wouldn't you want to go over yeah. and spend, you know, four or five years in America playing, playing football? Absolutely. I think there's a, lot, a larger appeal amongst a lot, a lot more people. We can yeah. sense it among... You know, friends of ours, mm-hmm. teammates yeah. even. I mean, there yeah. was opening weekend now, and and we watched a couple of games, and obviously yeah. it was exciting with the big, with the big marks like the LAFC against the Miamis. It brings mm-hmm. a certain flair to it, an appeal that is it's in, in part due to its novelty, yeah, but also because people can sense. I think everyone has always been appealed or appealed by the by the American lifestyle. Yeah. And there is there this romanticization in place of it. Yeah. And I think it's justified to to a large extent. And so people's approach to it is to, totally different. It's like a Hollywood feel. But having said that, it's starting to become a, a very strong league as mm-hmm. well. And now we see the US, Canada, Mexico having the World Cup in 2026. So inevitably the league will or the game will continue mm-hmm. to grow up until that. Mm-hmm. And we know the ripple effects of hosting such a big tournament. Yeah. And just just to point that out, eighty percent of the games will be held in the U.S. The infrastructure is incredible. The way they're able, the the, the business behind the, the the league, and then it's about building the quality yeah. and the relevance, and yeah. it's slowly improving. Yeah, but there's definitely some 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 um, some time to go until they can compete yeah. with the with the very best. And I think I think maybe one of the biggest challenges in the coming years is holding on to their best young talent mm-hmm. coming through because. We spoke about it before, obviously being in being in America. So many young American players they have this sort of obsession and fascination of playing in Europe mm-hmm. and they always say, I, I want to play in Europe, I want to play in Europe and that's kinda like the ultimate desire. So I think maybe improving the league, improving the quality and improving the academies and making it more desirable for these young players to stay in America and grow so that then they can go and, and improve the league instead of losing them. Two European leagues, I think that that will be a big challenge. Absolutely, and it comes down to how the MLS want to repre- want to I don't know, position themselves as mm-hmm. a selling league, as a, as a as a buying league, as a develop development league. But um, it comes down to um, you know how how you want to recruit players, how you want to develop players, and I think the academies are coming become a lot better. Usually, it used to just be go from academy through the portal to to, to college, or you sign pro early somewhere. But now you see there is a more focus on developing good academy facilities and systems in which they're able to keep their, their best players and develop yeah. them and get foster even more um, North American talents. Okay. So that's why our episode today, I think, will fit rather perfectly into that discussion because it will be twofold. Yeah. Um, we'll first talk to hosts of the MLS UK show. Um, card a great niche for themselves as enthusiastic providers of all things MLS from a UK perspective, which we'll, in which we'll discuss, you know, um, inside scoop on, on the league, yeah. just to get some somewhat of familiarity for some, for yeah. those of you who might not be as familiar with it, even for those who are, just to hear their thoughts on it for someone uh, who follow closely from a European standpoint. Yeah. And then we'll talk to our good friend, Brian White, mm-hmm. center forward for the New York Red Bulls, played together at Duke, um, and he's had he's followed the more so traditional uh, American ladder mm-hmm. in a way. He's done. Yeah. He's literally gone through every step, and that's mm-hmm. that'll be perfect um, 
to our discussion about yeah. development in general um, to see to see how it can be done, but also proving that the current system works. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, we will just uh, crack on with our uh, our interviews, and then we'll catch up with you after uh, after today's episode. Henry, you are the um, producer of Total Access Show, but you're also the f- co-founder and presenter of the MLS UK Show. Could you just tell me what um, gets someone like you into the MLS and why you find the MLS so appealing? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it all started with um, Elliot, who presented that uh, Total Access. So I worked with him, um, you know, and we 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 hit it off. We're best mates and. Uh, he is actually lucky enough. His dad's got a place in Orlando, so he, whenever he went out there, he would watch Orlando City, and he'd come back and say, "He said, oh, mate, you, you really need to watch MLS and and get into it. It's great. It's attacking football. It's it's brilliant." And I was kind of uh, not a pessimist, but I thought, well, it's on a, it's not on at the greatest time for us in the UK, um, and you know, I'll try and catch a few games. Anyway, I watched it, and and yeah, I love the attacking football, and I love. Like I, I, I'm kind of in and out of NFL. I watch the Super Bowl every year, and I kind of like the fact that the Americans have done their own version of our football, uh, you know, their version of it with MLS, and I like that. So I got into it too, and and then we, it was weird because we kind of separately thought of uh, the same thing. We thought, well, we want a different project to work on, but we're trying to find it, and and he was watching MLS, and then I spoke to someone. Uh, a friend of ours who had a rugby union podcast and he was like, get, get into podcasting, but you need a bit of a, a niche. You need something to talk about each episode. It can't just be you going on talking about yourself. So I thought, well, MLS and Elliot thought separately. He was like, I'd like to do a podcast in MLS. And then we spoke with each other and we're like, well, I thought that. And he's like, well, I thought that. So shall we do it? So, um, so since then, yeah, we, we love it. And, um, you know the interaction's been great, and we've we've really found that people have bought into it. So it makes it easier then to uh, to to just fall in love with the league. Yeah, there seems to be great engagement on on your Twitter page as well. And I'm just we were trying to pinpoint this leading into this talk about what is it that makes what is it that is so special about the MLS? Whether it was the novelty of it, whether it was just the American way of going by things, and mm-hmm. I think. You know, like I said, we have a romanticization of of America in general. What yeah. is it that what is it that I don't know? What is it that makes the MLS or the the, so- the soccer, as we would call it, so appealing to foreigners? Because obviously, we have the quality of game here in England and uh, Scotland, but um, the MLS just offers something different. It seems. Yeah, and I think it's important to um, you know I think. People in this country sometimes look at it with a very um, sort of a snobbish look at it and think, oh, well, it's not our version. We've got the Premier League, the biggest league in the world. So why would I watch that? And I think it's important to remember that uh, they're not trying to be the Premier League. They're not trying to be like Europe. There are elements that are, but most of the time they're just wanting to to do their own version about this sport we love. You know, there's no other. I, I think the A-League in Australia maybe is the only other league that has the playoff system. Uh, where it's you know it's it's the winners will win the MLS Cup. It's not whoever finishes top of the league. It's the winners of the playoffs. Um, so it, in a different way to like the championship have playoffs so, to get promoted. This is to win the whole thing. So I think uh, when people look at that, sometimes they look and think, well, that, 
what's the point in the season then? What, what's the point in finishing top of the league? But it's just the way they do it. And they do it very successfully in NFL, in NBA. Um, and they're just doing it now in soccer. And, and it is a young league. It's its 25th year this year. Um, so there are a few teething problems. You know, you've got teams playing at baseball stadiums and, and stuff like that. But it's their way of doing it. And it's it's if you love American culture and you love American sports, then it's their version of, of our sport. And that's what I love about it is that they've took on for years. You know, we all know that there was a lot of problems in the States and Canada in, in getting soccer to be a big sport because they just didn't buy into it. But now they slowly are doing and it's because they're doing their own version of it. Yeah, it's very exciting. And I think what the MLS has taken from the other American sports as well is the the professionalism that is invested in a sports setup from the NFL, from the NBA. It has that, um, it gives that semblance of just, I don't know, American legitimacy. It has yeah. a great feel about it. Yeah. Now that as we look ahead now to the next season, um, just to get a kind of a, a feel of the league, what can we expect from this season in terms of teams and, and some exciting players that we might keep our eye out for? Um, well, I think the main one this season for us in the UK is, is into Miami. Yeah. Of course, we've got the David Beckham link with that. And uh, they had their first game the other day against LAFC. They got beat 1-0, but you know it, it, it was their first ever game. So I was actually expecting it to be a 4 or 5-0 to LAFC. So I thought we did very well. Um, so, of course, you've got into Miami. And I think we found on the podcast that this year we've had a bit, a, a, a bit more... Uh, interaction, especially from people in the UK because of the David Beckham thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's great about MLS is that it's where you look at some other leagues, um, you know, you look at you look at Scotland, for example, where it's Celtic and Rangers to win the league and then maybe you might get Aberdeen or, you know, challenging. But you know the teams at the, the top of the league, you know who's going to be first and second every year. Whereas the, the best thing about MLS is that I could reel off five or six teams that I think could win MLS Cup and somebody else will win it. It's it's so... Um, so there's a lot of teams to look out for. Uh, you can look at the LAFCs. They're looking to uh, try and win MLS Cup after going so close last year. Atlanta United want to win it again. LA Galaxy with uh, Javier Hernandez now playing for them. They'll want to do better than they've done recently. But then you've got the likes of Seattle and Portland who... Uh, Seattle won it last year. Portland have won it before. So you've got all these teams that are challenging. And I think the best thing about the playoff system is that, you know, you can get a team that, that could finish third or fourth and then suddenly have a great run in the close season and end up winning it. And no one's thought that they had a chance. Um, so, yeah, in terms of teams, it's very, uh, you know, you've got your big hitters, but, you know, it's I would keep an eye out for, for everyone. Players, you've got to look at, Chikorito again. Uh, Carlos Vegas got a great goal at the weekend. Um, you know, Javier, uh, sorry, Jose Martinez is a big player in MLS, but he's just done his ACL, so he's probably out for the season. So now it's looking at Atlanta, see how they cope with that. Yeah, the, the it's interesting because it because of the MLS and the closed structure, there seems to be a focus on. Um, I don't know, equality almost, as in there aren't any clubs that can have significantly more investment or or money than others. And I guess that's part of the critique as well, but also the praise in which we, we give the MLS is that 
there is that unpredictability involved in who will actually win it. Do you think do you think the MLS as of right now benefit from a close structure like that? Or and could you see it at some point down the line benefit from having a more of a open structure? Um I personally am happy with a close structure. I think when you start adding like uh promotion relegation or adding um sort of a, a tiered sort of level of uh, prize money like we get in other leagues, then you start, you, you're going to end up with the same teams winning it every year. Right. Um, so I personally, which is not actually a popular view amongst, especially uh, foreign people watching MLS because they want to see it like the European leagues. I am actually happy that there's no promotion and relegation because it adds to the excitement that you don't know who's going to be top every year. So uh, do I think it'll happen in the future? I, I, I honestly don't know because it's it's not a it's a very American thing not to have promotion relegation. So they might be very stubborn about it, or they might think, well, we want to push this to Europe. We want to try and sell it to Europe, and that's what they'll they'll accept. But I think the the issue you've got uh, the main issue is like for example, David Beckham owns a franchise in Inter Miami. People aren't going to buy into the league if they think, well, I'm paying all this money to get into it. Yet next year I could. I could, my team could be playing in uh, a lower league and not have the same prize money. So uh, I think it would hinder it. And I think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at the moment. So um, I'm, I'm happy as it is. But that's, yeah, that's me again in 10 years and I could give you a different answer. If we could just go back to, to, to Beckham and, and to Miami, how is the team looking and, and what are their prospects going forward? Um, the team's looking good. I think, I've, you know, I've been doing the podcast and watching MLS um, intensely now for the last three years. And I think when you compare them to other sides that have joined the league, uh, I think the the project itself looks attractive. It looks good. They've got a, a fan base that's growing, um, you know, because I think it's important as well to look at into Miami and think there has been Miami teams in MLS that have then folded, but this is a brand new team. So with that, you've got to have the, you've got to build a fan base. You've got to, build a squad, you've got to build a stadium, you've got to have all of these. Whereas Nashville, who are joining the league, are coming from um, you know, the, the so-called lower leagues of, of US soccer. So they've already got all that. They've already got the stadium, um, you know, which they, they're going to be building a new stadium, but they've already got a stadium to play in. They've already got a fan base. They've already got some players. So I think for... When you look at it like that, I think Inter Miami and David Beckham are doing a good job, and we'll only see this year on the pitch how uh, how well they've done. But at the same time, I think it's important not to expect too much from them because they are a new side. If they don't make it playoffs, then it's not the end of the world. If they finish bottom of you know bottom like Cincinnati did last year, they finished off the pace quite a lot. Then that would be a bit of a disaster for them. But you don't make playoffs, then I'm sure they will in the next few years because you can see that progression that is building. Henry, I just want to talk to you about some of the teams. I think when you look at Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, they're a great example of successful franchises both on the pitch and off the pitch. They've got great, fran- great fans, a great stadium. But I think maybe when you look at other teams like Houston, Chicago, they're maybe underperforming a little. What conditions do you think may have been placed for a franchise to prove successful? Um, I think it's the attractability of um, you know, of the the franchise to the. I think you've got to start with your your the local fan base, the ones that are going to come to the matches, because as 
as what I found when watching it, like with Chicago, their, their biggest problem was that they moved out of Chicago. They moved to the outskirts of a city. So then a lot of the fans that were going uh, to Soldier Field, which they've now come back to, the stadium there, they couldn't make it. It wasn't as accessible. So they lost a, a bit of that fan base. So it's interesting to see with them if that's going to come back this year. But I think what Atlanta have done, they've, you know, Atlanta is a, a city where the, it's not like there's no other sports there. They've got a lot of competition, but they've, they've built this product. They sold it very well. And you've got the fans there that are really bought into it. They're very passionate. Um, you know, they love that club. They love the team and they turn up in numbers every week. And same with Seattle, they have big attendances. And I think for uh, like you look at into Miami, they look like they're getting the fan base, the local fan base on board. And I think it's just about building it from there because you can build a franchise and it could be, um, it could look good on paper. But then if the product's not good, then you're going to lose the the fans and you're not going to come back. So uh, I think start with the local fan base and then you can start building and you can start then thinking, oh, well, we've got a a UK fan base that could be interested because of David Beckham. What can we do to get them on board? And Europe as well, you know, Beck's played in so many different countries now but you could say go to Italy or France or Spain and say oh remember David Beckham well, he's got a team do you want to support it um, so I think it's but you've got to you've got to get your core support it's like same with teams in the UK you know you can be popular abroad but if you have not if your local fan base that have supported the club for years and the, the families have supported it if you're not looking after them then you're going to have an empty stadium oh, absolutely um, it's also interesting in in terms of I know proving more attractive to um, the domestic, but also the, the the global market as to how the MLS position themselves uh, in terms of how how are they to recruit players, how are they to uh, prove attractive for investors, whatnot. What do you believe the MLS has most to benefit from as a selling league, as a development league, as a buying league? Because there's been a lot of talk about from owners from the from the commissioner as to how the MLS wants to position itself. What do you believe the MLS is now and what do you think is most beneficial for it down the road? Um, well, I think for now, as it's still a relative young, uh, relatively young league, I think um, like you look at the likes of Atlanta and I think into Miami are trying to do this a bit. They're trying to get players from North America like Mexico or South America, mm-hmm. uh, like Venezuela or Paraguay or wherever. And trying to bring them into the league with a promise that you play for us for two years and then we'll get you a move to Europe. You just have to look at like Miguel Almiron, who's now at Newcastle. Right. That was promised to him when he signed. They said two years, if there's a Premier League team or a La Liga team who come in for you, then we will sell you. And that was promised to him. He won the MLS Cup and then went to Newcastle. So I think at the moment, as a feeder league for Europe, it, it can place itself uh, as that because you know it speaks the same language as say the Premier League so you can get to learn English while you're there and then move on um, and also there is that appeal to uh, countries like England and Spain with uh, a lot of the Latin sort of feel to it um, so I think that's where it needs to be at the moment but also not only that but as a league where we know that it's it can be seen as a bit of a retirement league when you've got Zlatan going over and um, you know, and whoever else who have had this career in Europe and now they just want to be in the States. But it can also be a league for, for players who are in, I don't know, the championship in England 
or League One. And if you're playing for a team, I don't know, just think, think of one, Derby County or Sheffield Wednesday, who are mid-table in those leagues, you can think, well, OK, I'm, I'm in the Championship, but am I realistically going to win anything? Am I going to be in the Premier League? Or I might get a good cup run every year, but you can then go to the States, you can have this great life and you can earn a, a decent wage and uh, you can perhaps win something. So I think it could position itself. There's a few areas it can position itself. But, you know, if you ask the Don Garver who, who runs things, if you asked him what he would like, he would say, you know, I don't think he would say that. He'd say we want to get the, the good players in and sell them on or get the, the quality players that we've seen over the last 10, 15 years and bring them in for one last heyday. Yeah, there seems to be a, to have been a shift from a retirement league in sorts. And you had the likes of... Uh... Pirlo and Lampard uh, going to the New York City FC towards the tail end of their careers. And now they're to be a more of a youth centric, more of a South American influx. If we go beyond then the foreign players, how is how is the condition of, of the American talent talents in league? We've seen obviously uh, a lot of Reina at Dortmund, Pulisic in, in um, Chelsea, Alfonso Davis, Canadian, Bayern mm-hmm. Munich. Um, what's the what's the verdict on the American talents coming up? Um, I think the 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 thing is with it that because of the college system that they have out there, which I know you're aware of, um, I think it's uh, you don't really get um, I don't know seven sixteen seventeen year old American players that go straight into playing for an MLS team. And then uh, go from there. It's normally these players are being picked up by European clubs like uh, Pulisic. And then they can have the career and then perhaps come back. Or they, uh, in Alfonso Davis's case, he's obviously Canadian, so it's a bit different there. Um, so he was able to do that. But I think for the, the players coming into the US national team, um, they tend to be players that have gone through the college system and then had a few good years in, in MLS. So it, it could be the, the 24, 25 by the time they get into the US national team uh, if they've not been picked up by a European team early on. So maybe that's something for the league to look at. I mean, as you know, the draft system is something that is very American. We don't have it really in any other league in the world. So uh, that is part of its appeal. And don't get me wrong, I love the draft in the close season. Um, and the way they do that, but for the for the national team and to progress that, maybe there's uh, something, um, you know, maybe there's something that they need to look at and think. Okay, are we missing out on a few good years of these good players because they're going through the college system and we're not picking them up until they're in their early twenties? Yeah, I just want to ask about the league as a whole. Obviously, it's relatively young compared to European leagues, but how do you think the MLS does compare? To the European leagues, and do you think it's realistic for it to, in the coming years, maybe ten years or so, for it to compete as one of the the kind of best leagues in the world? Um, I think I think it's difficult for MLS because um, the tradition that we have in Europe, um, and I'll I'll mention England in particular. You know, they've got the best league in the world, and uh, it, it's been going for over a hundred years. You know, I, I support Bolton Wanderers and they're, they're nearly 150 years old when you compare that to Inter Miami, who are a few weeks old, really. So it's very difficult for them then to, to compete with that. So I think what's important for MLS is just to continue doing its own thing and then people will pick up on it and start to like it as this is football, but different. Because if you're trying to compete with Europe, unfortunately for MLS, it's never going to compete because 
Um, you know, all the best players go to Spain or uh, England or Germany. So if you're trying to compete with that, you're not they're not going to do it because there's more money as well in the Premier League. Um, so I think it, for me, it's important that it continues to uh, help grow in its own country. And then when it's trying to sell to European countries or South American countries, just to say it's it's different. It's this is what we do. We do a draft. We do a playoff system um, and then try and, I don't know, bring some of the games over to the UK, have them at a, a, a Premier League ground because I think the, the people in the States would love that because they're playing, they're seeing their local team play at a stadium that you, they watch on the telly. Um, and then they can, they can build it amongst the UK audience. But I think if they start trying to compare themselves to English leagues, uh, sorry, to European leagues, I don't think it's going to work because they've not got the tradition. So, and I think that's where I've said before, I think that's the problem with people in this country is that they try to compare it to what we're used to. And that's where the, the snobbery comes from because they see the fans that are doing their own chants and they're like, come on, guys, you know, that's not what we do over here, but it's what we do in the States. So embrace it. No, it'll be certainly interesting to follow. I thank you so much for your um, for your time, Henry, and um, it'll be uh, be fun to see follow this uh, upcoming season. Yeah, yeah, it certainly will. Cheers, Henry. Thank you, Henry. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Surprise Pimp Society, um, a vintage Norwegian denim clothing brand. Um, customizes clothing. Uh, you can make orders available in the U.S., available in Norway, and um, reflect a reflect a, a value system uh, that we want to share. To be bold, be brave, and to do things differently. So uh, check them out on the Instagram or Facebook, uh, Pimp Society, and uh, you can reach out to them for any orders or inquiries. Now to our interview with New York Red Bull striker Brian White. All right, we got um, we got Brian White on the other line. Whitey. Whitey will refer him to as as uh, going forward. You got a good uh, had a good uh, game over the weekend, three two. What's the uh, what's the what's the general feel amongst the club and and from your personal standpoint? Yeah, I think obviously if you've been paying attention to like our team at all this offseason, we lost like a lot of major pieces. Pretty much Brad and uh, Luis, Barry Phillips, Luis Robles, um, two iconic members of like, New York Red Bulls. So it's been a little bit different for us in terms of finding new leaders in our team, especially in a team that's so young. I know we're confident within our, within our walls, within our team. And hopefully we'll prove it to everyone else who will keep down on us. Yeah, I was reading, uh, I mentioned this before, but I was reading that article in The Athletic and it was a... Uh, it was a uh, review of the of, of the team going into the new season, and like you said, you lost a lot of key members. Uh, like you said, Brother Phillips, who scored, you know, a lot of goals in the MLS, and then Luis Robles, who's now captain of Inter Miami, mm-hmm. including a couple of fullbacks to Anderlecht, if I'm yep. not mistaken. Um, and then now you said like a younger a younger squad, and then uh, our old. Our old captain, at least for, for you and I, Whitey, is uh, and Sean Davis, who's now captain of New York Red Bull, used to be captain our freshman year at Duke. Um, how has that role shifted for you? Because obviously uh, last last year you, you came in and really found your stride, re- not replacing, but you know, Bradley Phillips was injured and you came in and, and scored nine goals, was it? 
Yeah, nine, nine goals. goals and had a had a, a, a pretty strong season. How is it? How is that going into this season? How how is that different for you? Uh, yeah, I think there's a little bit more attention in terms of me as a player. You know, it's not that I'm Bradley Wright Phillips' backup anymore, and it's more uh, that I need to kind of uh, prove myself and cement myself as a player in this league and as someone who can produce goals. So for me, it's a uh, I think it's definitely going to be a challenging year in terms of taking that responsibility on and trying to be a leader within the team. But it's something that you know I'm looking forward to. Tell us a bit about how it is being part of the um, the Red Bull franchise because from the outside, I mean, I played the under 23s with you, um, mm-hmm. so I, I could get a slight insight. But still, obviously, you've been in part of the club. And how is it just how is it being part of an MLS franchise in New York. Yeah, I think uh, I mean New York has such a New York and New Jersey has such a great soccer culture, mm-hmm. and you know it's unfortunate that I think there's some problems in terms of getting play people to the game sometimes. You know, with the one of the trains out of the city or isn't running on weekends, so that's a, another hurdle that we have to. I can attest to that. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, I know Celtic fans would do it for their team. <laughs> Why did he said actually get earlier that the Red Bull fans are better than the Celtic fans? Get fan. people taking boats over from Ireland every week for Celtic games. <laughs> it's a different country. Yeah, the area, stadium, and you know, it's it's great to play in front of you know my family, and my friends. Right. Everyone's from New York, New Jersey. So, for the teams involved, a lot of new franchises. Obviously, I think a lot of people have their eyes on Inter Miami um, and seeing how the whole Beckham project is going to work. Where do you think the MLS can go? Uh, but in the short term, in terms of statements can make, but also long term. Where do you th- what kind of league will the MLS be? You know, I think ultimately we want to be a league that can compete with you know the top talents in the world. And I think you know you kind of see. We're trying to develop kind of a system or an infrastructure that kind of resembles European soccer in terms of, you know, the academy system, bringing guys through, having a lower league to develop. And, I mean, you can see now the players overseas that are producing, you know. Uh, I mean, Miazga went to Chelsea. He's at, I forget where he's going down to now. Tyler Adams at, yeah, test maybe. Tyler Adams at Leipzig. Alfonso Davies at Bayern Munich. Chris Richards at Bayern Munich. A couple of young guys at Ajax and PSV. Uh, we have guys, we have young American players throughout Europe right now, and I think it's a great sign of what uh, American soccer in this league can grow to be. I always think of you as as the the great American protege of 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 the system that is now. In terms of you've gone the academy yeah. system, uh, virtually every level. Yeah, done every level. Kind of been a very patient in your uh, in your in your approach and process, um, and you did academy, then you did college and then you really really found your stride senior year when you really took a step up and was a real key player to us and i think you i think you really matured from you from from you know over the years it was it was a it was a significant improvement from year to year because i, I remember started i remember our freshman year played right back yeah, I've I, have I played right back, and then Whitey came in as right back, and that was for us to see. Think of that. I mean, I'm no right back. 
What is no right back, even though he's played it? Me being trapped in right back is the, the biggest crime to my career ever. <laughs> <laughs> I had to play outside back for my academy team uh. when I was a junior in high school because some of the kids that were on my team were playing high school soccer instead. Right. So the the older team had no players, so they needed. They were like, "Can you play outside back?" I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I'll play wherever I, you need me to play." It's playing. That's you know, junior year is kind of when you start getting recruited for college, and so that's when I, you know, I'm again teams are seeing me for like half a year playing outside back, and you know, I'm not best outside back, but sometimes it wasn't bad either. I had a couple. <laughs> I guess that's when Duke had first saw me, and then they were like, "I guess the situation came up where we needed outside back, like." can you play i was like i mean i guess like i'm not gonna say no you know like, you're never gonna say no in those situations yeah. much rather have been up front but yeah ended up giving away like three goals and that was a lot. <laughs> no 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 listen i think we both did a pretty good job at indicating that right back was not for us mm-hmm. um i think i actually got subbed obviously the rolling subs in college i think i actually got subbed out that game at right back and you came in for me at right back, and then I came in at center back or something. You got hurt. Huh? Didn't you, like, pull your hip flexor or something? Yeah, something like that. But anyway, we got a 5-0 beating at Louisville. And yeah. since then, I think we played somewhat our positions again. But back to my point, it was a bit on a tangent there, but back to my point is you had the significant improvement year to year. Then you get drafted 14th pick, right? First pick. 16th. 16th total, first pick for the Red Bulls. Yeah. Previous summer, you played under 23s, PDL, which is a summer league, for those that don't know. I played with with you then. Great setup. We lived together. Great setup. Then you uh, get drafted. Don't get offered an MLS contract immediately. Do USL. Do really well. Then you get offered an MLS contract. Then you prove yourself. And then now you're you, you offered a new contract based off, based off that. My point is... You just you've been gone through these steps, you know, very patiently, proved yourself at each level and earned and generally earned your spot. Now I'm not saying that because you're my friend. I'm saying this from it from from the outside. How has your approach been throughout it all? Yeah, I think for me it's just always focusing on where I am at that moment and not getting too carried away of where I you know wanted to be. So like you said, I've gone through every stage and. Obviously, it's every kid's dream to go pro, and I think you see a lot more now that um, kids are skipping college and just going pro. But for me, that was college was my next step, and then PDL, USL. So every time I move up the next level, I try and bring what I learned from the past level and just keep trying to build on, kind of like a snowball, just trying to keep better and better every step I take and not get too carried away where, all right, this is where I want to be or think I deserve to be here already. Like, that's not the way I, I thought about it. And just, you know, every time I just put, your, put my head down and really just drove to be at that next level every every step of the way. I want to ask a little bit about the pathway from the USL to the MLS and how legitimate it is, because I think, especially over the past few years, obviously that's the pathway you took after college, but over the past few years, you see young players maybe not going to college and maybe staying with their academy and playing USL, or you see players, recently seen players leave college to sign with teams in the USL. So I, sp- I spoke to some other people in America and some people don't think that, that that pathway from the USL as a player to the MLS is common and it's actually tougher and doesn't happen as often as maybe people think. Do you think that it is a kind of common and real pathway? 
I think it depends on which uh, situation you're in. Because I think if you go to like a USL team that isn't affiliated with an MLS team, I think it may be a little bit harder. But I have seen it happen, and I think it, you know, you just have to be at the top level to get like notice. Say like an MLS. I mean, look at Sebastian Diego in uh, New York. Yeah. Right, old old okay. D player just yeah. for reference. Yeah. yeah. He was at San Antonio. I think they were an affiliate of New York, but they they wasn't there every day, you know, with New York City. Mm-hmm. And ended up going from there to NYCFC after he was, I think, defender of the year in USL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think, you know, if you're in with their environment, you're in their like a MLS second team, like I was, I think you get those opportunities to train with the first team. They get to see you day in, day out more than they would if you were at like a standalone USL team. So I think it, it really depends on which situation you're in. And I think at the least you have to be able to, you have to prove that you can play at the next level. And they see that in terms of what you're producing in terms of goals or, you know, clean sheets or whatever your play is. And then, uh, you know, you have opportunities in open cup games when USL teams will play MLS teams, preseason games as well. So, you know, it's, it it happens, but it's not it's not something I would I would discourage people from looking at as an option. I want to ask you about college because we spoke about it, me and Marcus, kind of personally, and how that four years gives you this kind of comfort zone almost to really identify yourself as a player and compared to other environments, you're maybe not under pressure of you know at seventeen eighteen chasing a contract. What's your perspective of your time at college do you think that that four years you had at Duke was the perfect environment you environment for you and growing and developing as a player or do you think maybe staying with the Red Bulls Academy or maybe leaving college earlier would have benefited you more I think in general I think um, the sooner you can get into a professional environment the better and you know that's the only way you're going to become the best player you want to be when you're Day in, day out, you know, you're playing with guys that are older, more experienced, better players than you, and that's the only way you're going to get better. And I think when you go to college, right now with the way the rules are in terms of NCAA regulations, like they they really do hinder uh, one's personal development as a player. And in that sense, like, and if we can't change that, then I do think um, that as soon as you the, as soon as you can get into a professional environment, the better it is for you to become. A better player. So, but for me, I think I know it's hard to live in this hypothetical world where, like, would I have succeeded if I was, went to like a pro environment at 18 or 17, whenever I came into college? Yeah. You know, spending a few years there. So, I, I mean, it's hard for me to tell. But I would have liked to have obviously I'm be a pro as long as possible. If I had four more years of being a pro, like if I'd started earlier, it would have been great. But you know, it's hard to tell how that would have shake shake out for me. Yeah, and I mean, there is that constant trade-off, right? Because it's only not only are you, I think, for sure, if you are in a professional environment for longer and you, the earlier there, the more you will develop as a player because you're being tested even more so. I think college soccer is, a, I mean, for, we've said this before, for me and Kieran, mm-hmm. I think for you too, I can speak for you, we benefit a lot from those four years, not only from a football standpoint, but from a academic obviously but also from just personal growth you yeah. know in terms of the people we are and that's the trade-off right yeah, but of course to be said about the way you grow as a person off on and off the field in college whether it's like yeah. academics who you meet things you get involved with off the field and i think 
you do uh, kind of embrace those challenges off the field that help you grow as a person and that are unique to college itself. And then also, I mean, it must be said, it's not for everyone. Like, it's totally understandable for, for us. It was the it was a perfect path, but uh, like you say, we can we can discuss forever the hypotheticals um, as to as to what could have been. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe me being a little bit closer coming through Celtic Academy and seeing a lot of players take the kind of conventional route to coming through the academy and then signing a professional contract sixteen seventeen and then see it not work out for so many people. I almost. I'm almost a little bit doubtful of that pathway mm-hmm. and I think that the kind of emotional, the four years of growing emotionally and socially, I think that equips you for then after when you graduate 21, I think you're more equipped to handle the ups and downs of football right. and I think at 17, 18, so many boys experience really tough rejection and pressures and I think they're just at that point maybe not equipped socially, emotionally to deal with that and I think that can then Although maybe they're in a better environment to improve technically and physically, I think the setbacks that happen, I think that maybe stints them and that has a quite a big effect in their in their career. That's a good point. And it's and it, like everyone knows, like not everyone's going to become a professional, so it's hard to say like this is the best environment because it doesn't work out. Then what happens? You know, it's yeah. it's mm-hmm. kind of live in this world where like this is the best way because you're going to become a pro because that's just not guaranteed. No, exactly. And I think, we, I mean, we spoke to Stuart James about this in our second mm-hmm. episode and he, he being dropped um, at 16, 17. And it's not only the emotional baggage for the player, but also the parents who are largely invested, especially yeah. in this British football culture. Um, and then you're also, your whole life, you've been, I mean, we'll struggle with that at some point. We've largely been defined as, as football players and trying to reinvent yourself. But I still think, you're able, like you said, we're able to put things in a bit more perspective because mm-hmm. we've experienced other avenues of life yeah. too, you know? Yeah. So basically what we're saying is we did, we did everything right. Basically. Yeah. According to our so. version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ironically, when I think about it, I think the players that I played with at Duke are playing at a higher level than the players I played with at Celtic. Celtic's Academy, which is, I don't know, a bit bizarre for me because I think coming to, when I came to America and I, I've told everyone, yeah, I played the Celtic, I got off the contract, it was just, it was quite, you know, it was a kind of thing. Yeah, big deal coming in, yeah, man. Yeah, it was a little bit bigsy. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, I, I guess there was just so much potential in the players I played with. And I don't know, maybe I'm speaking too soon, maybe they will come to fruition. Some of them are also pl- are playing at a good level, but I just think, I think of Brian, he scored Nine goals in the MLS last season. Evo scored eleven goals in the MLS. I mean, you had and then a four um, if I didn't get hurt. Say what? Yeah, if, if I didn't get injured. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go by that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, I mean just... yeah, Car. I mean, I mean, now you're referring to a very strong class, you know, yeah. consisting of me, Whiting. Carter and, and so forth mm-hmm. so you know it's natural you know there are those once in a generation uh, classes but no but it's true yeah. but I think I like, I've said this before but I wouldn't have survived in the in this academy system but mm-hmm. then again I'm a late bloomer and you could say in you know in comparison to to players here YD you could be kind of regarded as a late bloomer even if you're 21 because 
the age, the cutting, I don't know, the cutoff here, yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong, Kieran, but the cutoff is like 16, 17. Then you kind of said, yeah. oh yeah, I have an idea how this player is. No, yeah. I don't think he is it. Yeah. I think he is. You're with us. Yeah. 16 had just started growing. Yeah. You know? So I I wouldn't have survived in that academy system. And who's to say I wouldn't have found a different path? But it is also a pretty tough message for still I regard as a kid, 16 mm-hmm. or 17, yeah. to say, you know what? I don't see he was good enough. And then where do you, where are the alternative? And that's where I think college comes great in hand and because it provides an alternative. The tricky part about college is you come out when you're 22 and then if your goal is to go overseas eventually, you have to obviously, you're going to end up probably spending a few years in America and playing USL, MLS, whatever. But if, you know, if everything goes really well there, maybe you get out to Europe 25, 26 and over there, that's, you're, you're late on the scene. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tough. It's tough, but I'm just thinking why like you said, why some of the, and maybe, you know, there are a lot of people, great players yeah, coming still, up in the system. So we're not saying yeah, this is a, uh, this is a, still uh, a, you know, a handful of players that are playing at a good level, but I'd, I'd argue that Brian and Evil with their seasons last year in the, in the, uh, in the MLS, you know, outdoes any of that. But I don't know. Absolutely. Um, and it's a tough, it's a tough league to score goals in because, yeah. you know, last year you were playing, uh, Red Bull's playing a four two three one, right? Correct. Different this year. Yeah. You played, you played, um, you played alone up top, so it's under difficult circumstances, and you're playing against. I mean, you can say what you want about MLS uh, in terms of the players, whatever, but it's physical. Yeah, you know, so you really have to assert yourself in that respect. Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough. So all respect to you, man. Appreciate it, fellas. Yeah, surprised. <laughs> Here's so buzzing because he got had a had a pretty good run from center back today. So he's 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 uh, he's, he's he's been in his stride today. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> that was kind of John John Stones esque. He's got he's not, he's, not like, he's a big fan of John Stones. I mean, I love I love great potential, but a bit random, no? Nah, I like him. <laughs> you know, that chick from Marcus's deep times, dude. Uh, Came back he was. Arrogant with the ball. <laughs> yeah, I need to find. I need to find back to that. Back. I hated the the worst was when in the spring we would sometimes go in the indoor basketball court at Wilson, and this man had his sambas on with a futsal. And Johnny was trying to tell me defend, defend. I said, Johnny, I'm in a futsal field. How can you expect me to like think defending? But yeah, now I um, I don't know if I should go back to that. Nothing to lose, do I? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant, Whitey. Thanks so much um, for taking the time, man. Really appreciate it. Anytime, fellas. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too, yeah, man. Yeah, speak to you in another couple of years. <laughs> that concludes our sixth episode of BroPod, our special edition on the MLS. So uh, hopefully you have a, uh, a bit of a better idea of, of the league and the game in general, getting a... Uh, fans perspective with experts perspective on it as well as a player um any overall overall thoughts to, to end this episode on kieran um I th- i'm really happy with it to be honest mm-hmm. i think we covered a lot in both kind of segments with henry and then with brian i think yeah, if you're maybe an outsider and you don't know much about american soccer or mls i think you'll hopefully learn a lot from the episode 
a couple of things to uh, that I that I thought of was uh, first of all the um, Henry's remarks on not necessarily comparing the uh, the American mm-hmm. game or MLS, sorry, yeah. to the other leagues as it is right now. Who's to say what it becomes in the future? Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? I think I maybe changed my perspective a little bit because I think I, when I watch MLS, I've been so used to watching British football, a lot of European football. I watch it. I'm just constantly trying to compare it. I'm looking at the players and the playing style, uh, the, t- the speed of the game, I'm just constantly trying to compare it and maybe even the, the rest of it with the, like the fans and the culture and everything. But I think you need, to, you need to stop, it's better if you stop doing it and just take it for what it is. And I think if you look, Henry made a good point in terms of structurally, you just can't compare the MLS to European leagues. You look at, this is the 25th season for the MLS, you look at the European leagues, they've been going, like he said, he supports Bolton, did they say? Yeah. 150 years they've almost been a club for Celtic 130 odd years mm-hmm. I think so that's that's embedded in the culture that's generational I support Celtic because I'm from Glasgow my dad supports Celtic his dad support it's generational right now you don't have that in MLS and I think maybe even a broader point in America you see kids right and they grow up 17, 18 they go to college a lot of the time they move for college they then after college they then move somewhere else for work so they're not maybe maybe the culture and the the social I don't know mobilization is a little bit different in America I don't think I don't think you can maybe get that generational father son you know grandfather support of the one club because then after college we've got friends that happened to Duke they go and live in all these big cities that they didn't grow up in and then they just support that team you know right I, I mean we've got friends that live in uh, Dallas and they'll just support the local, you know, Dallas FC sort mm. of team. But they, they didn't grow up in Dallas, and then maybe if they were to move to the West Coast, they'd just go and start supporting whatever city they're in the West Coast. So I don't know if you'll get that that culture and that kind of the same passion or uh, support for teams. I think it certainly comes down to time, like you say. Yeah. Uh, installing cultural, social change is a very tough task. But let's consider that the growth of the MLS has been tremendous a lot of challenges in place but considering how quickly it's grown especially in its infant stages slowly starting to get there triggered by the 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 World Cup held there in 94 and then slowly again they're having 10 teams and then you suddenly see uh, you know a quicker spurt in in what teams or franchises are to be involved and now by the end of next season, we'll have 30 teams, yeah. and then come other different challenges. But then it's then it's an issue of scale. But one, I think MLS would gladly have rather than uh, the opposite from their former years. Yeah. Um, so that would be interesting. And then my second point is, you know, constantly thinking about the whole talent pathway and what is best. You know, because we have we have our experiences similar to to Whitey, as in what benefited us comparing it to you know the british academy system seeing how that whole works and kind of re-questioning the whole idea about development at the cost of what or mm-hmm. what what do we mean by development yeah. do we is it is it um justifiable to to pursue solely football development not saying that 
in a football night, you learn a tremendous amount of life lessons. I think you are extremely well prepared for what might follow, especially from a mental standpoint. Yeah. You know, but there are other aspects to consider, especially when you grow and become, you know, take the leaps from teenage kid, teenager to adulthood. Mm -hmm. What is best for it? And I think that's, I mean, for many people, it's largely individual. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at the club academy system, I think you need to also take into perspective the pressures on the club. They're constantly, absolutely. there's so many Good players point. in the market, right? They're constantly under pressure to develop players and so they need to make decisions quick and maybe sometimes they do make decisions a bit too soon and players get let go and I think that's why we spoke about the college system I think that gives you that comfort to really grow as a person emotionally socially that maybe youngsters in Europe don't get that luxury just because of the such competitive nature and forces of professional football yeah no absolutely I agree Kieran um we will just leave it at that. I yeah. think it's uh, important to reflect on. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of factors to consider. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed it. We enjoyed it a lot. I think it's, I think you know, it's important to switch things up a bit and mm -hmm. and hear people's different perspectives on the game, especially something as as exciting and maybe perhaps novel for mm -hmm. for a lot of you. So uh, with that, um, we'll be ending today's episode. You can always follow us on uh, Twitter. On the ground. Yeah. No, no, not on the ground, not on the ground, not yet. We, I need you, I need you to provide me with more uh, content for that, Kieran. I think yeah, you, okay. I think I'm giving you, I'm, I think I'm going to make you chief creative officer, actually. Okay. So start, start pitching so your you ideas, know, right. yeah. And um, uh, but on Facebook, on Broadway, where we'll be just putting out our episodes, and Twitter will be more active, putting out links related to 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 the week's episode and and stuff in general that we think uh, you know is is of interest to us and hopefully of interest to you. Um, until next time.